This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Today, Entrepreneur House listeners, we have a master entrepreneur and business coach, Tim Conley, on our show. Tim turns entrepreneurs into CEOs of their company, teaching his clients how to scale their business from six to seven figures without sacrificing their freedom or sanity. In the late 1990s, Tim started marketing consulting for companies to integrate offline and online campaigns. After two decades of experience, Tim has worked with over 400 founders and started, sold, and invested in multiple businesses. He knows what it's like to create a seven-figure business and the pressures of running a business on that level. Here's what I like about Tim. He's a no BS guy. His advice is clear and direct, and he will tell you what your business needs and how to accomplish it in the least amount of time. In 2015, Tim came as an advisor to the Entrepreneur House in Chiang Mai. It was incredible watching this man when helping the attendees with feedback on their business. It was watching a master at work. Now, without further ado, let me welcome my friend Tim Conley to the show. Hi, Tim. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. And you're reporting live from where today? Uh, In the desert of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, So we're going to dive into your past a little bit and get to know Tim on a personal level. And can you tell us like how you got your start as an entrepreneur? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm one of those kids that, uh, you know, I was one of those kids that that, uh, was always trying to hustle up money. So, so you could, you could say I got my start as like a, you know, six year old, uh, collecting bottles off the side of the road for their, uh, for the, the, uh, deposit on them back in the seventies. Okay. And, and going from that buying, buying, uh, trading cards at the store and then taking them to school, breaking up the pack and then selling each of the cards individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would take. Uh, I'd get a 10 cent deposit and turn that into, you know, any, uh, like 25, 35 cents. Yeah. And that, that was in my blood from, uh, from an early age. Uh, then, then as I got older and realized that I had a problem with authority, so it made it really difficult for me to be a good employee. <laughs> nice. So that, that's, that's how I found out I was an entrepreneur. Okay. And so this is in maybe your early teens or even younger? In, in my teens, you know, I, I kept hustling. I kept trying to just uh, make, make money in any way I could. Uh-huh. Uh, then, then I decided I wanted to see the world. You know, I grew up in a rural area in Illinois. And, and I, you know, the only thing I could experience of the world was on television. Uh-huh. And it looked amazing. Nice. And I was like, I need to go see that. But I, I didn't have really any money, and, and I didn't know anyone who traveled uh, except for, like, kids of, uh, of wealthy families. So I was like, there's just no way I would be able to see the world on my own. So I joined the military to, uh, to be able to go see the world. <laughs> and and, and that, that, that's where I learned I had a problem with authority. But, <laughs> but it was great. It was great. It gave me an opportunity to grow up. Uh, I, I learned some very valuable skills. Uh, I learned discipline, which is definitely a good thing to learn. Mm-hmm. And, and I uh, got to see some of the world. And then and I realized that seeing the world and being able to live on my terms, uh, like those two things really coalesced uh, while in uh, military service. 
that that I really still loved seeing the world, and I and I'd only gotten a taste of it, and because there was such this this big beautiful world out there, and I needed to see more of it. And then the other side was that I wanted to have self-determination. I didn't like being told what to do on such a regimented basis mm-hmm. as, as the military uh, was. And, and so for those two things really made, uh, made my choice up for me. But I still didn't know what to do, and I didn't know how to do it. But, but I knew I was going to do something on my own. Nice. And so that kind of led into what was your first official, quote unquote, business, Tim? First official business was a comic book magazine that I never got off the ground. I got it partially going, but we never got our first issue out. I just couldn't raise enough money to meet the distributor costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, distrib- distributors wanted a set number of uh, issues printed and guaranteed for at least three months. And uh, I didn't have that, I didn't have that kind of money uh, even remotely, and and I uh, and I couldn't raise enough. I was like, I was about fifty percent short of the three, uh, almost three hundred thousand dollars that I needed to be able to make sure that that magazine went out for at least three months, and and so I just had to just sh- uh, shut that down before it ever really was a thing. Uh, so that that was that was a hard lesson for me there, and. So, so that was the official one. Like it had like a business license and everything, mm-hmm. but it, but it never had, but it never, <laughs> uh, you know, it never had customers. <laughs> uh, but then after, right after that, I went off to college and, and while I was in college, I did design and, uh, so I designed furniture and cabinetry and built those and installed them in people's homes. Okay. So that, that would have been my official. Uh, really my official first business that people gave me money for. Okay. How long did you run that business for? Uh, for uh, as, as a design business, it ran the whole time I was in college. Okay. So, uh, so for a few years there, I was actively building for customers, but then I decided that I didn't want to build for them anymore. Uh, you know, I just wanted to build for myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the things that I wanted to make and furniture that I wanted to design and make for myself. And then the rest of the time I just went into I was doing design. So I would design a kitchen. I would design in addition to a home. A- at the same time, I was studying architecture in school. OK. And then so after college, then you decided to dissolve that business or did you move it into? Something yeah. Else? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, because it, it tra- what happened was the Internet took off yeah. while I was in school. And and so in the late uh, late 90s, uh, my buddy and I, we decided we were going to start a dot com. OK. And then that that right there changed my my whole life. Uh, I've been involved in the Internet uh, I- exclusively, you know, as, as a full time income ever since. So that was a that was a mental shift for you. It sounds like correct. Uh, so, yeah, in, in a way, but but you have to remember that I, I knew myself as an entrepreneur. I was going to be doing something. I didn't know really know what it was. I love design. I love architecture. I love beautiful things. I, I love creating new environments. Mm-hmm. And entrepreneurship is that. Yeah, you, you take an idea and you turn it into reality. How how much more design? How much more art is there than that? Yeah, and you help people through it too, which I think is absolutely incredible. That's why I love entrepreneurship because 
the idea of actually taking an idea, or the idea of taking an idea, and then create it into reality and help people along the way blows my mind. Helping people is the thing you have to do uh-huh. for entrepreneurship to succeed, for, for the idea to live. Because if you don't provide value to anyone, then they don't become a customer. Yeah. And, and so you can't make their lives better unless you give them value that they, that they themselves cherish more than the money they have in their pocket. Excellent. Um, so I want to jump into a little bit, Tim. I know you created a business that was pretty successful, and then you ended up getting burnt out on it. Uh, was that the pool business? If that and, and my own marketing agency, both of them. Because okay. at one point, I was doing them both at the same time. Okay. Um, let's talk about those. Like, How did you get involved with those and kind of the journey of how they evolved and then you decided to stop working one or the other? Yeah. So what happened was uh, I, I was uh, – my dot-com failed. Uh, it, it didn't. It didn't take off. Uh, it, uh, it. It was not a success. And I realized I needed to learn how to sell. I needed to learn how to get customers. Okay. And that started me on this path of, because uh, you know I knew how to make websites at the time. I could design them. I could code them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to get a customer. And and so that I I started working on that. I I learned direct response marking. I learned how to do copywriting. And while I was doing those things, I was out trying to learn how to sell. I even went through formal sales training programs, uh, uh, working for companies where they had like these junior uh, sales training programs mm-hmm. and went through their programs and learned how to sell like cars. I learned how to sell insurance and and you know stuff where you had to be face to face and get people to uh, say, yes, I want this product. Yeah. And that that experience because uh, I, I knew I did I knew I didn't want to do that for a living, but I knew I needed to know those skills. So went off and did that. And while hustling and doing those kind of sales and that training during the day, uh, I would go to uh, all these different uh, in entrepreneur and business uh, events and and I'd network and then I would convince somebody that I could rewrite their ads. And that those ads would convert because they weren't converting. They were just like the standard, here's my logo and here's our phone number kind of ads. And I, I was like, you know, I could do this with uh, copy here. I could change this and it would make you all kinds of money. And that that started my marketing uh, company. Uh, so from there, I uh, put them all together. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, how long did the marketing, how long did you run the marketing company for? Well, up until up until about two, the end of two thousand eight, two thousand. I think uh, the last client I had was in the spring of two thousand nine, mm-hmm. uh, with that with that marketing company. And what are some of the biggest takeaways from that experience uh, of running that business? Because you turned it into a pretty successful business, correct? It was. It had high. It had a lot of income. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so th- that's that's the reality. That's the, one of the biggest lessons I learned is that you can bring in a lot of cash uh-huh. and have a, a decent, you know, salary out of it. But if you don't really focus on efficiency, if you don't focus on your margins, uh, ultimately the business doesn't have a large profit. Yeah. And and 
so successful on the outside, I guess, I guess if you measured it in comparison to other marketing agencies like mine, then is then it was successful because they none of them made any money. It basically <laughs> gave everybody who worked in them a job. Okay. And and so th- uh, so that was that was a process that really changed how I viewed business. And, and and I and I learned along the way that hey, you really do have to focus on having efficient systems. You can't just be creative. You can't just have every single project you do be 100% custom. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's, then there's no efficiency. There's no way to make a profit because you're always uh, putting in new and more hours. Uh, and and so it just eats up the budget that you have available for those marketing campaigns. So that that was an education in how to run how to run a profitable company. And and it took me a while to kind of figure that out. By that time, I was just I was just tired of it. And 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 I and another thing I realized is I did not really want to be uh, an advertising agency. I liked I liked certain problem-solving sides of marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I switched from being a guy who made marketing campaigns completely and and with a team and everything that did that to someone who just just did consulting on marketing. So I, I would come in and I'd help a client do uh, do marketing by getting their team to build it. So so I was educating the company itself how to put out their own marketing, and and that's how that's how I switched from from having an agency to being somebody who just sold advice, sold here's how to do it, and and did training for people like that. If we can step back just for a second, and, and you were talking about building efficient systems or learning to build efficient systems from trials and errors in your marketing business. What are some tips, Tim, that you could, because this is something I'm actually challenged with at the moment. What are some, a few tips that you could give entrepreneurs out there about creating efficient systems for their business? Well, it starts with margins. You, if you don't have uh, sizable margins, then it doesn't matter how efficient you are yeah. because you're going to go broke. So you you have to have significantly more money than it costs you to provide. So you have to have significantly more revenue than it costs you to provide the service or product. Gotcha. Uh, it start it starts there. So uh, I, I know a lot of entrepreneurs who are tweaking their their uh, deliverable systems. Like, oh, uh, I've got I've got all these uh, uh, standard operating procedures for all these different parts of my business, and then I ask them, well, how much profit you got? <laughs> well, <laughs> un- uh, under ten percent. And it's like, well, you're kind of focused on the wrong thing, aren't you? Mm. It's like you're over you're over optimizing these these uh, functional parts of your business without just tackling the the thing that really makes the money because a, a a company that has great margins can survive all kinds of efficiency good point okay so most must have sizable margins and so i'm guessing you know it's been said that marketing and sales are 85 percent of a business would you agree with that uh, if you have a great product, so okay. so eighty five percent after the hundred percent of a great product, <laughs> okay, and or or service, yeah, right, yeah, because it's easier to sell. It's easier to sell something, and it's easier to market something that's really good. Yeah, good point. 
And so what are, what are some other systems that people could set up for their, their marketing and sales in their business? For mar- for marketing and sales, we have to separate them. Uh, we okay. uh, we have to understand what kind of business are we in? What orientation do we have? So there's uh, friends of mine who are sales oriented. So when they they uh, start a business, it's sales, 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 sales. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then then marketing comes later, and then they they you know look down on those guys. Uh, because they're more about let's let's just get the sales in, and and I come from a marketing orientation. So uh, and a lot of businesses are marketing oriented. So that that is we do marketing, 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 marketing. Get people to raise their hands so that we can essentially take their order a, a, in a form of sales. Okay. As opposed to needing to close someone, we just take their order. So you have to understand what kind of orientation do you have? Are you a sales? Are you sales oriented or are you marketing oriented? Because that's going to make a difference in in how you build your first customer base. If you're if you're a person who's really sales oriented, then then sitting around doing a bunch of marketing and it's slower and and takes a while to get customers and it, it would drive you crazy. Right. But then if you have somebody who's marketing oriented, who's trying to build up, up their initial customer base and, and you tell them, oh, you need to go out and do face-to-face sales, they'd be like, oh, my God, there's no <laughs> way I'm doing that, right? Yeah. Not even going to happen. So, so, so there, you know, those are two extremes, but there's usually, even when there's a combination of sales and marketing, Mm -hmm. the company itself is either more marketing oriented or more sales oriented. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Now say a person's more sales oriented in running a business, would you recommend that they find, would they learn to master marketing first or hire somebody? to bring onto their team that can take care of the marketing. What's your thoughts on that or vice versa? Well, so they're, what they're going to do if they're sales oriented is they're going to go out and make sales uh-huh. and they're going to make sales and they're going to make sales and they're going to make sales. And eventually they're going to start to plateau Yeah. and they're going to need to do marketing. And, and so they're not going to be oriented for it. They're, they're not going to have the patience for it. They're not going to care about that in general. And so they need to bring in someone who, is, who can complement their sales prowess. Mm. Most of the time they don't. Most of the time they bring in somebody who's like a, you know, really great at marketing. But that person can't comprehend how the, the sales process really works. Mm, okay. And, and so you have to find – you have to bring somebody into your company who's good at marketing but can understand that this is a sales organization, not a marketing organization, so that marketing supports sales. Excellent. Let's hop into uh, what you're up to today, these days, Tim. I know you're consulting and coaching and you have a podcast and a really cool Facebook forum and – so let the audience know kind of the, the projects and businesses you're working on today. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> when, when, you, when you were scheduling this interview, you're like, hey, you know, I know you've you know, done all kinds of things. Like, yes, I, I have done all kinds of things and I continue to do all kinds of things. Yeah. I, I find, I find 
variety, inter- uh, just interesting in itself. I, I'm, I have a curious mind. I like to uh, delve into different areas. And, and I like building things. I like making things. I like solving problems. So, uh, so I, uh, I build stuff in my, in my home shop. Uh, I do all kinds of, all kinds of things that are, that are considered hobbies, but that I used to do for actual money. I still do those things as hobbies. And, and, but work-wise, I've been working with entrepreneurs and helping them transform from this this hustler mindset, you know, it's like uh, when you do a startup, it's like, I'm going to work 800 hours a day <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to, and, and I'm going to do that until I'm super successful. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, this mindset of, and, and usually in the early days of a startup, you got to have that kind of ambition and grit right. just to get the company, just to, to, because we got to, we, we really need to let listeners know that uh, getting an idea, manifesting an idea into a physical form, is uh, is a uh, draining but and but very powerful act of magic. Yes, <laughs> so it, it takes so much effort to get it to make it real, mm-hmm. and and then once it's there, what happens is is these founders just continue to put that kind of energy into it right and it and and it burns them out over time uh what happens is they don't learn how to lead the company and they just keep using that manic energy that they needed to create it they they start to uh, get really frustrated when the business starts to plateau it's like, oh, you know, we had we had 120% year-over-year growth for three years straight, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, we're looking at having you know, 25% growth this year, and which you know, 25% growth is still pretty good if you're a business that's been in uh, been around for 20 years. Yeah, but uh, but for uh, a relatively young company w- that's entered into a, a decent market. 25% is going to seem like, oh my gosh, I'm failing. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> uh, I was just doing 120% last year and yeah. now it's 25. This is insane. This is terrible. And so what they do is go back to their old habit. I'm going to work really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put in lots of hours. And and that is usually a terrible idea because <laughs> uh, what, what what is it? It's uh, like uh, – uh, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created the problem. Yeah. And and that's what founders do. I created this problem of plateauing by working just crazy hours instead of building a, an organization that could assist my vision. Instead of building that organization, I just hustled. Mm-hmm. And that that's what I've been up to. And that, that's what I've been uh, – that's a problem – that that I've been captivated by for several years now is uh, transforming founders into leaders. So I have a question on that. Um, what are some of the biggest walls or barriers that stop people from going to that level? Because, and I've experienced this too, when you're hustling on that level, you, you it becomes ingrained in your subconscious mind that this is what you need to do in order to create success. And so to transform to the point of that being your daily habits and and something that you really believe creates success to letting go of that and, and overcoming that barrier like what are 
What are some of the things that, uh, or excuses maybe even that's, that, that hold people back from doing that? And what are some of the solutions to overcome that barrier? So one, you've got to realize that almost none of it actually exists in reality. It, it all exists in that gray matter between your ears. That, <laughs> uh, so, so we have, we have to realize that first, uh -huh. the, the thing that I, the problem that I'm facing is made up by me. Like as soon as you understand that, that it's not reality, it's just the way I think about reality is what this problem is. Uh, that that's the first step. The, the other is, uh, take a look at Silicon Valley, the, how VCs help these young entrepreneurs uh, end up running multi-billion dollar companies. How do they do it? Well, they surround those people with a management team. Uh, great. They surround them with great people. For, for, for self-funded companies, and that's mostly who, who I work with are self-funded uh, because they're, they're the ones who come to me that don't have this team surrounding them yet. I, I help them build their first management team. And that's they resist that because they just think, oh, it's just going to be too expensive. And, and they and they spend all their money on on people who do low impact activities in their business. And then they're stuck with all the management. And that that's the first thing that I, I, I work with them on is, OK, we got to get management in here because there's no way you're going to unleash your vision on the world if you're stuck pushing paper. Not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, once we once we start getting uh, the right people surrounding an entrepreneur, that vision that they have starts to happen, and it happens rapidly. Uh, one one of my clients was in a position where just before he had uh, become a client, uh, he had put money back into his business. So with it, but within three months of working with me, he did his, did the math, uh, had, you know, looked at the accounting and it's like, Oh, we're at 30% net profit now. Well, how, how, like, how does that happen so fast? Well, it's just change the way you view your business and, and then start working on, uh, the things, the, the right things at the right time. And, and this included, you know, putting management in place. It's like, how, how do you add expenses, but somehow become more profitable? Well, because you are able to handle more clients, you're able to have hand more customers because you've uh, put the right people in place and now you can grow faster. So when you get a client to that point, Tim, and, and say they have their team set up, you help them get their team set up and you're, they're managing their time better. I've heard a lot of people have, I don't know the exact term for it, but almost a withdrawal of what do I do now? kind of feeling like, okay, now everything's set up and we're growing and we're more profitable. And now the business owner is like, now what am I supposed to do? What, what happens at that point? The, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the identity crisis. Mm -hmm. So uh, especially with self-funded entrepreneurs, because it takes so long to get to that point mm -hmm. that they have, they, they've ingrained an identity into into their into their entire being, which right. says, "I am an entrepreneur, but not just an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur who works really hard, and my company exists solely because of me." 
right? That That's their identity. Right. And then you put in a management team and the management team can run the company without you. Well, the company doesn't need me anymore. <laughs> I don't have to work hard anymore. And then they start to question their whole identity. Well, am I even an entrepreneur? And so, so what I see so many times is when they get to that stage and they get bored and they, they have this uh, identity crisis, they, to prove that they're an entrepreneur, they decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start another business. That, that, that's the thought that, that, that goes right into their head. <laughs> I'm, going to start, I'm going to start another business this, because it, it fits their identity. Mm-hmm. Not, not because they really want to start another business, but because it fits their identity. And, and they're having this identity crisis. So I call that the, the, the lateral step. Uh, but what I, what I do with my clients is when they get to that stage is to help them make a, a vertical leap. We, uh, we want, uh, they get to a, say, say $5 million a year in revenue, and then they're just stagnating, they're bored, they've got a management team, and, and they're just like, I don't know what to do. Uh, what I'll, uh, uh, but I do know how to build a $5 million a year business. So what I'll do is I'll go build another $5 million a year business and let my management team just run this, this company uh, just so they can feel valuable again. So they can feel that, that power that, uh, of, of creating again. And what I do is say, well, let's look, let's look into your market. Are there any companies that do $50 million a year? And, and, and invariably, if you've built a $5 million a year business, there is probably at least a dozen 50 million and up uh, businesses in your, in your market. Oh, uh, and I'm just, you know, just guessing right there. It could uh-huh. be even more than that. Yeah. And there's probably, uh, there's probably a number of multi-billion dollar companies in your market if you've been able to build a company to 5 million. So, so what, what, what? What does it look like to go from five million to fifty million? Oh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> and 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 that's that's the response is wow. I don't I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Uh, uh, and it's scary. And it's like, but c- couldn't you do that in your company? You've got the foundation. You've built a foundation where this thing runs, and it's profitable. It's got money that it could invest in in. Uh, making a vertical leap. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't why don't you take that manic uh, entrepreneur energy and go up instead of over to the side? And how do you identify Tim like a person who really wants to go that route as opposed to a person who originally created a business for we can say lifestyle design so they don't have to work mm-hmm. anymore um, when somebody comes to that hurdle? Well, yeah. So, so that's the. It still happens with that same identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, this thing doesn't need me anymore, and and I built this thing so that I don't have to work. But what do I do with myself? <laughs> right. Right. So, so that so even they, those kind of people, start looking at. Well, what other thing can I start? What other business can I start? Mm-hmm. Instead of actually enjoying what they built. Uh, so. So with that, with that crowd, it's still a matter of, well, how do you, how do you shift your identity to being an owner versus being an entrepreneur? Mm. Complete, completely different mindset because as an owner, you're wanting to make sure that the thing is stable, that the CEO is running the company in a, in a reasonable manner 
and you get your quarterly distributions. Oh, and, and then and then you have to figure out what, what are you going to do with your time after that? Because you, you just you, you have an identity that's based around working a lot for a long time. Do you have some examples, Tim, of somebody that's handled that in a really good manner or easy manner? Like it was easy for them to transition. <laughs> no. No? <laughs> no. Uh, it's, it's not an easy transition. Okay. Uh, we're, we're talking uh, how, how easy is it to quit smoking? True. How easy is it to give up uh, a drug you're addicted to? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I call it being addicted to the struggle. I've watched a lot of entrepreneurs that just create chaos in their own company just so they can feel like they've got something to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. It happens all the time. It, and that's one of the concepts that, I, that I've, I've put out there that entrepreneurs are the most resistant to. No, I'm not addicted to the struggle. No, I'm not. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a crackhead. <laughs> it's like, well, no, you are. Like, look at your behavior. Yeah, uh, you you uh, you meddle with your team so that so that it causes chaos and then you come in and fix it. Yeah, like that's that's addicted to the struggle. So breaking habits are really hard. Right. And and so uh, and especially when those habits become part of your identity, when when you turn and uh, when somebody says, well, what do you do? Well, I'm an entrepreneur. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that even mean? It means I work a lot. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of these guys could use a, an AA for entrepreneurs uh, to recover. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to recover past that part, but it kind of it's kind of what you do though. Help people transition through that period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mo- most of the time, I'm working with with people who are looking to grow. So, the, so the, they're wanting more growth. They're wanting to. Uh, t- uh, they, they feel that they've got a lot of untapped uh, ambition and potential, and they so, so they're wanting that unleashed. Uh, not too many of my clients uh, want to not work. Yeah, M- most of them have have this idea that they're going to work until they until they die. I, I'm the same way. I like what I do. Yeah. Like, why would I stop? Uh, if if I was miserable, yeah, then I need to quit. But I'm not miserable. I like it. I like the high, you know. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna keep doing it, and and as long as I find it enjoyable, then I'm gonna I'm gonna stay there. Mm. It's it's the times when you build a success that you hate. That's when it's time to quit. You know, and you need to go cold turkey. How does one recognize that they're creating more struggle than necessary in their business um, and say, draw a line between, oh, I'm just hustling and working really hard because it's a new business or I'm creating more drama and struggle in this business just so I can struggle more based on my subconscious beliefs of it takes struggle to be an entrepreneur? That's, I I honestly don't know. I, I don't know how to identify it early. Okay. Uh, it, it almost always is identified <laughs> after <late. laughs> it's yeah a- after it's like oh my gosh my life is miserable uh-huh. and because because what we do is is that we we understand that active creation takes a lot of struggle right so uh, so then we understand it we we understand how it feels for struggle so then so then if a problem comes up then we just throw more energy at it right. And, and so, so sometimes that solves it, but, but most of the time it doesn't. 
and and it just compounds over time. And then after a couple of years where you're like, man, I'm miserable. Uh, eventually you finally come to the point where I'm not happy with this. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy with the growth. Uh, you know, you're not happy with something. Uh, uh, and, and, and I, and I, I would almost say discontent, but that's too kind of a nice word. Like you're, you're a lot of times you're just miserable with where you're at that you feel like, you know, I should, I should be somewhere different than I am now. So what, what decisions led to this? And, and so that's, I I really wish there was a way to get, uh, to be able to say, uh, oh, here's, here's how to identify it early. But one of the issues with entrepreneurship is uh, is ambiguity. Uh, uh, you know, everybody talks about entrepreneurs being able to handle risk. Mm-hmm. But what I think we handle more uh, uh, often is ambiguity. There's, you know, dozens of wrong answers and we can identify them. But there are hundreds of right answers. Mm. And so, well, which right answer is the, the, the best one? I have no idea. And we won't know until we look back on it in the future. Yeah, maybe I should have done that other thing. Uh, maybe I should have <laughs> invested in this instead of that other. But it was, but it was one of the right choices at the time. And and so you, I, I I don't know. I just I don't know the answer to how to identify it early. I just know that it it happens to a lot of people. And and then they just double down, you know, like when the struggle starts to happen, they just double down on it as opposed to going and getting help and and also uh, surrounding themselves early with people who can help them identify it when they say, oh, you know, I'm struggling with this problem and that and someone else in their life can say, hey, you know, I was there and this is what I did. Right. Or here's how here's how I got uh, a manager in place that allowed me to get away from that so that I could focus on the important things in my business. Very nice. Very true. I agree with that. Um, so uh, so here's another question for you. You're, you're I'm sure you're a firm believer in getting business coaches or mentors. Do you think it's something everybody needs? I, I think everybody needs people in their lives, mm-hmm. especially entrepreneurs. I, whether uh, so, so yes, I get paid to be an executive coach. I get paid to give people advice. I get paid for consulting, uh, uh, but I don't recommend that for every situation. I, I turn away lots of people every year, mm-hmm. uh, and and but I give them advice. I give them a way to get past where they're at, uh, so that so that they don't walk away empty-handed, but. I don't think it's I don't think paying somebody for uh, for help is always the right choice. But I do know for entrepreneurs, we have to have people in our lives who understand us mm-hmm. because uh, because if your family doesn't, your friends don't and your employees definitely don't. People don't comprehend what you go through. And and then it's like that. Oh, wow. Poor, poor you. Yeah, you're, you've built a multi-million dollar business and you're stressed. Oh, my gosh. How, how sad for you, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, but you're, uh, but if you've never had to make sure that several families had a paycheck, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're not, your employee is not just your employee. They got families that they're taking care of. Right. Like, 
that's stress, right? Because you got to take care of your own family. And then you've got to take care. Then you've got to make sure that that business can pay all those salaries. Mm-hmm. And that's on you. And so, so there's a lot of stress that comes from that. And so there's this uh, concept of entrepreneurial loneliness that, that we feel isolated from the world mm-hmm. because, because no one, uh, no one's going to feel sorry for a guy who makes uh, seven figures. Right. No, no one's going to. And, and, and we don't want people to feel sorry for us, but we, but by surrounding ourselves with people who understand us, who understand the things that we're going through, it helps us, uh, be better people. What are some ways that people, if somebody is looking for a business coach, what are some ways that you can identify a good one? That's a good fit for you. Well, I would, I would look for people who, uh, have been where you're going Okay. Uh, that have that have a lot of business experience. If you're going to get a business coach, then you need to have somebody who's got business experience. Uh, there there are a lot of business coaches out there that don't have any business experience. So, uh, but they can. That doesn't mean they can't give you uh, ed- emotional advice, like how to handle emotional situations. But they can't give you any business advice because they don't know. That it would only be stuff they've read. Uh, at best, so so look for look for that kind of that kind of thing. Uh, but if you're if you're looking for someone who's a sounding board, then then you know go go to uh, build up your own mastermind. Get other get other entrepreneurs who are similar to you to just sit down and have a few beers and talk about business uh, a couple of times a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but if you're gonna look for somebody to pay, then then make sure that they can they can give you what you need, uh, and and so which is which is actually trickier than it sounds because I've had lots of clients who come to me and they are like I want this from you, yeah I, I have I have a reputation for marketing, and they are like hey I want you to help me get more customers yeah <laughs> like, yeah I can do that right. Uh, and, and they want me to make them a leader in their company and, uh, you know, the stuff that I promote being, uh, you know, being an executive coach, but they also want, you know, I want more money. Like, yeah, obviously cause we're in business. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going to work on that. But, t- uh, but many times the things that they say they want and need fixed in their business are not the first things I ever work on with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, is I'll I'll talk to them and I'll I'll identify I'll be able to find a glaring hole in their business that we'll tackle first, even though they're desperately wanting me to solve uh, or or at least help them solve some problem that they brought to me, and and a lot of times that I, I look at that and go that's a symptom that's not that's not the actual cause, so because but but that's only because I have a, a broad. Uh, a broad background in business. I've worked with so many different kinds of businesses and seen how they work and how they solve problems and how they succeed and and even in places and how they fail and be able to take that and look at a business and go, oh, we could just change this one thing here and all of a sudden you've got 30% net profits. I think it's worth mentioning, Tim, and I want to see if you agree with this, that when you do go into a mastermind and go into uh, a coaching session with a new coach, uh, and and let me know if you know some tips on this. 
uh, to come in with the right mentality because I've seen a lot of people even come to the entrepreneur house or go into business coaching and their idea is like, okay, I'm here, I'm giving you money, now do me. Like, make, yeah. me, <laughs> make me successful. And, and then yep. what I always tell people is like, look, the entrepreneur house is set up to give you boundaries. On, but if, if any success is going to be created, you have to do the work, bottom line. And so um, if you hear that from somebody, Tim, or somebody that's coming in with that type of mentality to, to your coaching, what are some suggestions you make to them to kind of set up boundaries for yourself? Well, as you said in the introduction, I'm a no BS guy. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife calls it tactless. Tactless. So, <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, I, I, I call them on it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I call people on it. It's like, oh, so you, you think that coaching is magic. It isn't. Right. Uh, uh, coaching, coaching is guidance. It, it's a, allowing you to get better at what you do, mm-hmm. not bringing something in that you don't have. Uh, it's uh, I, in in uh, professional sports, the coach does not make the the player amazing. Right. They they show them how to become more amazing than they already are. Mm-hmm. So so that's that's what a coach is good at. A coach is going to help you if you need a problem solved and done for you. Go hire a consultant. Mm-hmm. You know, go hire uh, a vendor to come in and fix this thing for you. That's a better solution. But if you if, if you hire a coach, you want coaching, then you're going to get guidance on how to be the best you and and for whatever situation you're in. That's what you're going to get. And and you have to be able to get a coach that can call you on it. Uh, and, and so on the other side of that is. A lot of times I prevent that from even happening mm-hmm. because uh, like, uh, an example of one of my uh, recent clients that I got when he was a prospect, I, I said, OK, and here's here's coaching. And he, and I explained what I do and everything. And he's like, OK, he's like, well, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. But he's like, I was really expecting a hard sell. I'm like, why didn't you? And he's like, why didn't you like, you know, sell me on this? And like, because <laughs> I it's like I need your commitment uh-huh. Coaching is not a consulting gig. Uh, coaching is uh, going to require a lot from you it's, uh, as well as from myself. And if you're not committed to your business and to, the, uh, to what you need to change and grow to become a leader, then I'm not going to commit to it. Good point. So I don't do a hard sell. And, and so that's one of the bits of advice that I give is that if you ever talk to a coach and they say they give you a hard sell – to to get into coaching, then you probably shouldn't use that coach. If they tell you, well, uh, yeah, you don't have the money to be a coach, but you can't afford to not get coaching, run, mm. right? Uh, because because they're selling you. They're not they're not tapping into your commitment. Mm. They're trying to convince you to give them money, and and so I I want my clients to be committed. Uh, or I won't take them. Amazing. Tim, for some of the listeners that are out there that may want to contact you about uh, coaching, what specifically uh, do you look for when you take on clients or accept? Well, it's kind of the way I've talked through this whole this whole uh, interview. Um, 
I, I specifically work with people around the one million dollar mark, uh, mostly because mostly because my my fees are higher, but also because that I'm I'm working with people who need to build their first management team. Uh, uh, for for you to be a leader, you have to have somebody who's following you, right? Right. So I, I build that. I help them build that first management team, so they go from where where they're at to being able to have a strong foundation to get to where they want to be. So uh, that that tends to require building systems, building a team, uh, and and making that transition from founder to to leader. I have taken some smaller clients, uh, clients that are in the half a million dollar mark uh, range, but they've got high enough, they have high enough profits, high enough margins that they're able to reinvest that back into the business to grow to the level that they want. Um, I recently turned uh, turned away a prospect because even though he was right in that $1 million range, that he didn't have enough profits, uh, basically to the point where there wasn't enough. Um, uh, he was he would possibly miss payroll if he hired me. Okay. And and I said I said I can't in good conscience take you. It's like if you were if it was a consulting gig, I would take you because I I can solve this. I mm-hmm. know the answer to this. So I just gave him advice on what to do to turn his business around. And I said, it'll take you about three months if you do what I tell you to do. Go do that and you'll turn this business around in about three months and you'll have the profitability to then really reinvest in the company and grow to the next level. But that, that's, that's what I look for. Perfect. Okay, Tim, uh, let's wrap up there. I want to tell you, give you a big thank you for coming on to the show. Thanks for coming to the Entrepreneur House and, and advising, which was an incredible uh, benefit for the attendees and myself last year. I really appreciate that. And, yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for, for being a friend. If anybody wants to reach out to you and get a hold of you and learn more about Tim Conley, uh, where could they do that at? Well, I, I have a, a URL, nice and short, tim411.com. It redirects to my personal blog, uh, or they can go if they uh, want to build, if they're in a bigger company, need a new manager help, they can go to leaderswithin.io. And uh, and the other side is find me on, uh, on Twitter at Tim Conley, T-I-M-C-O-N-L-E-Y. Perfect. Again, thanks. A big thank you for you, Tim. Um, I think there's some amazing tips on today's show, and and we really appreciate it. Listeners, we're going to sign off there and see you all next week. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in 
and have some questions, be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.